Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. This from this morning's reading of Paul and Corinthians. Now is the acceptable time. And this is from 1900 years later in the writings of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Responding to his critics, fellow clergymen, suggesting that he's going too far, too fast, that he needs to slow down in his protests and his actions, King writes back to them while imprisoned in a Birmingham jail for disturbing the peace in April of 1963. In this expert is part of what he says from his well-known letter from a Birmingham jail. We know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. Frankly, I have yet to engage in a direct action campaign that was well-timed in the view of those who have not suffered unduly from this disease of segregation. For years now, I have heard the word, wait, wait. It rings in the every ear of every black person with piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant never. We must come to see, with one of our distinguished jurists, that justice long delayed is justice denied. It's simple. The time for justice is always now. Always now. Trying to find more elegant or sophisticated ways to say this is unnecessary, impossible, it just can't be made any clearer. There is never, ever, any good reason for any delay for justice, and the mounting violence oppressive delays always produce. No gospel would ever suggest such a thing. No God would ever condone such a thing. No one should ever call themselves faithful and accept such a thing. Yet we are in such a time in our church again when we are debating once more whether justice and love are important enough to us, integral enough to us, for us to take actions that would allow pastors to welcome in the church and marry in the church same-gender-loving couples in states where that is now legal and will become legal without any threats of reprisals or charges being brought against them for violations of ordination vows. Next week, the 220th General Assembly of the PCUSA will meet in Pittsburgh. It meets every two years to gather in worship and prayer, community and conversation, as well as considering changes within the Church, considering amendments and overtures that are sent to the Assembly from around the country. As in the past years, Jan Hus has sent overtures to its own Presbytery of New York City, which have been approved and are sent to the General Assembly and will be discussed with others next week. They include an overture for an authoritative interpretation of W-9.4000 and a change in the language that defines marriage as being between a man and a woman. This language change means a change in the Constitution of the PCUSA, which is made up of our Directory for Worship, our Book of Confessions, and the Book of Order. I and others will be there addressing the committee, speaking in favor of both of these overtures. The authoritative interpretation, or AI as it is called, 
is a decision that can be made at a General Assembly and have immediate impact. It does not need to go out to the presbyteries. So in the case of the AI, making it possible for pastors to legally marry same gender loving couples in states where it is legal to do so, that can take place immediately following approval on the floor of the presbytery at the plenary session. The second overture, the change in the Constitution, is a larger and more complex process that begins with the passage at the Assembly of an amendment that comes out of the committee after they hear testimony and review the original overtures they received. If an overture is approved by the committee and is sent to the floor of the plenary session and passes the plenary sessions by the vote of the commissioners there, it is then sent to the 173 presbyteries that make up the PCUSA, where it requires a two-third majority vote in the ratification process. This can take a very long time to accomplish. In the case of the passage of 10A, which removed the restrictive language of G60106B, the language that was used to prevent people who were LGBT from being ordained in the great majority of cases, this change took nearly 16 years of legislative action at every General Assembly over that period of time. So the immediate relief of an AI, coupled with the immediate start of the work on constitutional change, makes sense to begin right away. Sounds like the right next thing to do, right? Well, not for some. One of the largest of the progressive movement groups, the Covenant Network, believes that constitutional change is too large of a step for the Church to take at this point in time, especially following the recent ratification of Amendment 10A. They are concerned that bringing forward another constitutional change that will increase the inclusive welcoming of people who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender within the Church puts too much stress on the Church at this time. So they will only support the AI, and by their silence, at least on the overture for constitutional change, will stand against it. And theirs is a strong and powerful voice, whether in spoken word or silence. If not now, when? Thankfully, there are several groups working toward both. More like Presbyterians, of which we are a member church, and that all may freely serve, which I serve as an evangelist, are both clearly supporting the two. For us and others, it is difficult, confounding even, to think why a delay can make sense, considering how many are hurt by such delays. Once again, Dr. King. Frankly, I have yet to engage in a direct action campaign that was well-timed in the view of those who have not suffered unduly from the disease of segregation. Still, we do our best to work together in places where we agree and even disagree in respectful terms when we are at such points. But we cannot be silent. Being silent when holding back the good news is never a good thing, especially for churches. And this is a case in point. In 1993, Pastor Dan Smith of West Hollywood Presbyterian Church preached a sermon by retelling a story of Nancy Wilson's the then pastor of Metropolitan Community Church of Los Angeles. The Reverend Dr. Nancy Wilson is now the moderator of the Metropolitan Community Church. This is a story about an evening she spent with a dying man at hospice back in the early 90s. Although it is nearly 20 years old, the story makes the point, I think, of 
Why now? And since it was written during that time, the language of the time is lesbian and gay. Rather than change the context, I will speak lesbian and gay, but please hear these words clearly when I do. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, questioning. Here's the story. It was Christmas Eve last year when I received a call from a hospice. I was asked to visit a young man named Michael. When I arrived at the hospice, I met a young man who was about 25 years old and dying of AIDS. He had tubes going in and out of his body. He could not speak because he had tubes in his nose and mouth, and he had tubes coming out of his abdomen. The young man was very distressed and was having seizures. The staff at the hospice had told me Michael had been hanging on for dear life, anxious, afraid, and angry. He couldn't let go. When I entered his room, I found Michael lying on his side. He could not talk, but he could write. He had a pencil and a large tablet. It took him an excruciating long time to write even one little word. And so for 40 minutes, he wrote little words and things. I felt increasingly distressed and ineffectual. I didn't know if it frightened him to see me, I was wearing a clerical collar, or if he just didn't know who I was. But what was even more distressing was the concern of whether I was being more hurtful than helpful. I sat there for several minutes and finally he wrote the words in capital letters, HELP ME. I said, Michael, I don't know what I can do to help you, but I can pray for you. Would you like me to pray for you? He sort of nodded yes, so I touched his head and began to pray for him. As I prayed, tears came down his eyes and I began to cry as well. When I had finished praying, he looked at me and wrote on his pad very clearly, This is a hospice. What are you doing here? That was a profound question. It was Christmas Eve. This is a hospice. What am I doing here? I just looked at him and said, Well, right now I'm crying with you. That was about all I could manage. He wrote, What church? And I said, Metropolitan Community Church. He didn't know what that was, so I told him the story of MCC and Troy Perry. I told him I was a lesbian, and I could see all this was news to him. Hours, days before his death, he first hears of this possibility of gays and lesbians in church. I was filled with a sense of poignancy and pathos. Here was a dying man who had never been able to put his sexual orientation and faith together, and now, because of his situation, we couldn't even talk about that. So I began to talk to him about God's good gift of his sexuality and our spirituality as lesbian and gay Christians. I could see he was listening intently. Then he kind of looked up at me and wrote on his tablet, Gay angels? The smile on my face was immediate, and I said, Yes, Michael, there are gay angels. I know many. In fact, one died in the room next door to you just a few months ago. His name was Ben. But there are many, many others. In fact, you, Michael, have the name of the greatest angel. All of a sudden, he had this look on his face, and I just sensed him begin to relax. The last thing he wrote to me was, Send them. I felt like I was in the presence of the divine through this incredible experience of knowing that Michael could not let go until he knew that gay angels would accompany him to the throne of God in some way. He wanted the kind of company that he trusted on this last piece of his journey. 
and he did not want to go anywhere that he was not welcomed as a gay person. I was touched and humbled by the fact that Michael thought I could send these gay angels, but in fact, they came the next day for him in the morning. Early that next morning, I called the hospice, and they said, Oh, we're sorry to tell you, Michael died. And I said, Don't be sorry in the slightest. What a wonderful thing that he could die on this wonderful day, and that the angels came for him. Well, Nancy Wilson concluded her story by saying that, I tell you this story because I think whether you are gay or lesbian or heterosexual or bisexual, you need to understand the kind of fear and need that gay and lesbian people have to believe that the religious symbols and systems of our life that are articulated in the Bible must be gay and lesbian friendly for gay and lesbian people to really trust and believe that this is our God and that this is our Bible too. I, Ray, tell you this story today, on this Pride Sunday, and on the eve of the beginning of our General Assembly, to say that the uncomfortability of the Church is always better than the distance, disenfranchisement, and violence the Church imposes by those who believe there is a time later. There can never be a time later for violence to end, unless one chooses to become complicit in the violence. There can never be a time later for change, unless one wishes to become part of the suffering and pain of others. There can never be a time later for the full welcoming of folk who are LGBT, unless one wishes to be part of the greatest of sins, dissing God's creation. There can never be a time for silence, unless you give up your voice in the non-verbal rebuke of standing idle. Paul, in the gentlest of ways, says it, We wish you would open your hearts to us, the way we have opened them to you. It's not your hearts. It's our hearts. And Jesus places the punctuation in this morning's gospel. Why were you so frightened of the storm? Have you no faith? We can never be frightened of the storm that clears the skies for justice, no matter how badly or threatening it first looks. We can never set our prophetic voice aside and in its place assure our comfort or plans for long-term progressive change at the expense of others. We can never be part of a conversation or church that keeps the good news and gay angels from anyone. At least I think we can never do these things and be what we and others call church. There is much ahead of us, but today on this New Member Sunday, this Pride Sunday, this day that God has made, you have been, are, and will always be welcome here. Please keep this church and those who will gather in Pittsburgh in your prayers. Please pray for us that we witness the prophetic breath of the Spirit filling the communities and plenary halls in Pittsburgh, and pray that the PCUSA move another step closer to full inclusion at the edge of God's gracious love and wildly abundant hospitality, with a voice that makes it clear people know we are here, and yes, some of us are queer, of course. Amen.